0: Uh, I never knew uh, my biological grandfather. My dad actually never knew his dad, so I never knew him either. In a genealogical sense, that leaves me with a little bit lack of moorings around my meaning in terms of my ancestry. I don't really know my ancestry, where I came from. I haven't given it much attention in my life. I suppose that's because who my dad's dad was doesn't seem to have much bearing on who I am. His absence in my life didn't seem to make any noticeable change in whether or not my life has meaning. Others of you might feel differently. You might actually know and be able to trace your father, your grandfather, your mother, your grandmother and beyond and connect your story to a long line of family members. And that may bring to you a deeper sense of meaning of why you're here, how it is that you're in a line of people who have come before you. You're carrying on that name. Traditions that you hold were their traditions. Your family tree may or may not be important to you. But I would like to persuade us this morning that understanding our origins as humans is very important. How did we get here? How did the world we live in get here? I would argue that we cannot know who we are unless we know how it is that we are. This morning we begin a nine-week series entitled Origins. It will be a study of the first three chapters of the, book, the book, first book of the Bible, Genesis, that tell us how things came to be. If you're curious, I chose this book because I look back in our preaching history as a church. And I think for the last five years, we have not had a preaching series in the first five books of the Bible. It seemed like it was time to do that. So why not start at the beginning? So here we are. Genesis, the first book of the Bible written by Moses, as scripture attests in Joshua 22, 9, 2 Kings 21, 8, Matthew nineteen eight. It is a history book. It's a history book written to a specific people, the Israelites. The book narrates from beginning to end God's work to make his people. Uh, Midway point, a little before, God will make a covenant, especially with Abraham. Then with his people Israel, they will get to Egypt. Then there will be an exodus. Without Genesis for the nation of Israel a huge gap of knowledge about who they were would have remained. This is vital to them understanding who they are. Genesis as a book is divided in different parts. The first part marked off by the first words that we find in Genesis in the beginning, the rest of the sections start with this phrase. These are the generations So this is the beginning, Genesis 1, after it come, all things that happen. This is not just the beginning of this book. This is the beginning of God's entire revealed word, the Bible. And when Moses set out to explain to Israel who they were, this is where God told Moses to start. So we start then at the beginning. And we will look at Genesis 1. Verses 1 and 2 together this morning. Let's read those verses now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. These verses communicate one very clear message God is the Creator, and He's actively involved in His creation. So, my aim this morning is to persuade us to worship this God with our lives. I'll have two parts to my sermon this morning. First part, first point, God is the creator. And secondly, God is actively involved in his creation. Maybe you'll be helped by knowing those to follow along as we look deeper into what God has given us in his word here. First, then let's see that God is the creator. Verse one tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. These opening words give us the, Time and the scope and the author of creation in the beginning before anything was before there was an earth to call earth or clocks to tell time before time. That's when this event happens and the scope is universal from heavens to earth and everything in between. This was the pivotal moment Between there being nothing, as we perceive it, and there being everything. But the text's main interest is in the author of this creation. God created. You see, what God does in our world reveals who God is. In fact, one of the great benefits of knowing his word is to know what he does and how he does it and why he does it so that you might know him. So for the rest of my first point, this first observation, this truth about God, I want us to see how what God does in creating reveals who he is. I think there are six things either directly or by implication We learn about the creator God here in this first verse of the Bible. Six things. First, God is eternal. God is eternal. What happened? What was going on at the beginning? Well, we're left to understand that God was already there. He was before that. The first words of the Bible assume God's eternality. In the beginning, there was nothing of our world, but there was God. We are unable to completely comprehend God because he is beyond our conceptions of space and time and material. He is other. He is timeless. He is immaterial. He is outside of what was created. So I'd invite you, if you're here, maybe you're here and you you don't believe that God created this universe. I'm glad you're here. I hope these thoughts from God and his word are provocative to you, help you move forward in knowing him. I'm glad you're here and willing to listen to another another perspective. But for you, I, I, I wonder... If you don't believe God made this world, on what authority do you make that claim? Later in God's word, God actually asks a human being this question, which I'd repeat to us. Where were you? He says. When I laid the foundation of the earth. Were you there? Friend, when there was nothing. Could you describe what it was like for there to be nothing? Do you know anyone who was? One of the main advantages of thinking deeply about God's eternality. Is that it assists us in our appropriate response to him in humility. God is eternal. We learn that from the beginning of time. Second, we see God is self-sufficient. He is independent. If he was there before any of this, then he doesn't need any of this. God doesn't need the food that comes from the ground. God doesn't need the water that falls from the sky. He doesn't need the oxygen of the atmosphere. He doesn't need the plants to recycle carbon dioxide. God could have just as easily been kept on being God. He would have been completely sufficient for himself, satisfied in himself. God doesn't need anything. God is not lonely. He was not lonely. He doesn't need someone to love. Remarkably, though, even though that's all true, he chose to share himself for our sake. Third, we learn that God is powerful. He's powerful. God created this, all of this, out of nothing. He didn't have any materials. He made the materials. Kids, have you ever created anything in the way that God created it at the beginning? Have you ever woken up and come into the kitchen for breakfast and found that your favorite cereal is all gone. And you just made a new box of cereal appear out of thin air. Me neither. Now in a way, we're all able to be creative. We can take materials at a very young age and into adulthood and mold them and shape them. We can take music and arrange it. We can take ideas and express them in original ways on paper or in speech, but that does not make any of us creators. Every time we make or mold something, we have to go into the storage closet of what God has already made to get the basic items needed to be creative in his image. We get ourselves in trouble when we stop recognizing the difference between God's creating power and our creative ability. When those lines start to blur. We assume that because we're creative, we must be creators. When we do that, we start believing that we or others can do only what God can do. We start believing that politicians can make a new world. We start expecting that a lover will make us happy. What we're really doing is looking to them to change the world, to make a new one. And they can't. Any comic book fans in the room will appreciate this interview. I watched recently with the late Stan Lee, the guy who created Marvel comics. He, out of his creative abilities, invented Th- thousands of superheroes and supervillains. And in the interview, uh, Lee was asked how he went about making a superhero. And he answered, he, he made characters and each character had to be in- interest- interesting. And to make them interesting, each had to have a quirk or a characteristic that drew the reader in. Now, I do not claim to have exhaustive knowledge of the whole library of Stan Lee's comic book superheroes, but none of the most famous ones. I don't know if you've noticed have creating power for the purpose of a story that would not be interesting. There wouldn't be any tension. There wouldn't be any conflict. The hero would have no weakness. From a reader's perspective, we wouldn't be able to identify enough to keep reading a comic book about a creator. I wonder if we get bored with the Bible because we approach it like a comic book. In these pages, we learn about a God who does whatever he pleases, who creates what he wants, who can't be defeated by anyone. Who doesn't have to explain himself to anyone. Who stands as judge over everyone. Is it possible that we grow bored with that story and gravitate to books or movies about people that are more like us? Perhaps we get bored thinking about God because God is not enough like us. But friend, that is essentially what the Bible tells us. God is not like us. This is one of the main things the Bible and the natural world that we inhabit and live in every day communicates to us. God's absolute power will either be something that brings you and me to wonder at him and to worship him Or it will drive a wedge between us and him. You will either welcome his right to do whatever he pleases. Or we will wish that we had that power instead. So are you worshiping God? Or in some way, are you wishing you were him? Fourth, God makes order. God makes order. You notice that the author tells us there was an order at the beginning. Things were formless. It was a void. Earth was without form. And next week we will see God bringing about in detail order out of that. If you were to walk into an abandoned art gallery. No one was in there. But it was filled with exquisite art. Everything hanging in its place. All these masterpieces painted and drawn and sculpted. Would you assume someone made that art? Or would you assume that by some chance it all had come to be there on its own? Even though I've not always been a Christian, I have, al- I have always found evolutionary theory as an explanation of our origins to be an empty idea. Chaos does not create order. But because evolution provides an alternative to God, humanity has taken the bait. The world's philosophy would have you believe that nothing matters except matter. Because that is all there is. But if this material world is everything, do you realize nothing really matters? God gives meaning to the matter He has made. And that's why it matters. So, kids, in your grade school classes, your high school classes, in your college classes, in many of the documentaries you watch on television, in the episodes from National Geographic, And many other ways we get knowledge in our day. You're going to sit through a lot of science classes. You're going to read a lot of books. And science, let me tell you now, is not equipped to yield answers on origins. It can only observe what is. If you and I were not there, we will all, all of us, all human beings, will all have to believe some source. So which is more believable? A God of intelligence and wisdom made you and me endowed with meaning and purpose out of his good character? Or a chance accident in which a bunch of nothing with no cause or explanation became the designed and ordered universe? A design presumes a designer. Order began with God because that is who he is, a God of order. And that's why we can love science. Because it allows us a window through which to observe the intricacies and complexities of what God has made. It teaches us about him. And when we look at the world he's made, genius does not even begin to describe his creative abilities. All our creative power comes from him. Everything we do, everything you imagine is derived. Even the craziest sci-fi fantasy takes for granted the existence of beings in the universe who communicate with each other. Where did they get that idea from God? He made all that. There's nothing we have or do that doesn't somehow point back to God. There's nothing that we have or do. That doesn't somehow point back to God. That's the way God intended it all. When he built it, he made the world so masterfully and marvelously that there would be no question in anyone's mind who was responsible him. So what can you notice about God's creation this week that will lead you to praise him more? Maybe it's the way a sprout seems to magically grow from a seed. Maybe it's the way a ray of the sun thaws snow. Maybe on a night walk, it's the arrangement of the stars in the night sky. Maybe it's something else. Bringing order is now a way we can reflect God in our lives because he's orderly. So whether that's you arranging your daily schedule thoughtfully. Thinking about how to use your time, helping your kids structure their time, making sense of a bunch of information at work in a way that helps other people understand, teaching people to understand God's world more clearly. All of that is a way we bring order like God. Because God is a God of order, we also honor God through our orderly worship. A way we honor God here in our gatherings is to have an order of worship because God says in 1 Corinthians 14, he is a God not of, confu- of he is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God creates order. Fifth, God, we learn from creation, is the authority. God is the authority. When our, our kids were younger, they used to play more with blocks and they would make elaborate structures, build them, and then inevitably, the child who didn't make the thing wanted to be the first one to destroy the thing. As a parent, I was often intervening, explaining that the one who made it gets to decide what happens to it. And that was usually a solution that brought peace. Interesting that that same claim by God. leads to war against God in our world. From a cultural perspective, God, even if he is creator, is not allowed to act on his authority as such. There is a prevalent demand that if he exists, he can only be allowed to exist to go along with what humanity wants or expects. Friends, the God who created all things does not ask us for permission. He acts as he pleases. I wonder if you're having a hard time with that this morning. What, what did your heart just do when I said that? Was there a hearty amen just dying to come out of your mouth in response to God made us? He does whatever he pleases. Have you been struggling to understand why God made the world? Are you having a hard time coping with the way things have turned out in your own life? Do you find yourself thinking, why did God make me the way I am? Well, genuinely, I give you this answer. Because he's God. Because he's God. And we are not. God created the world. No one else did. Now that is not to say that God doesn't care about you, about your hardships, about your trials. He does deeply. As we understand in his giving his son to die for us. But for us to question God and his purposes of creation... Is as absurd a picture as a coffee mug once being molded into its shape by a potter, looking at the potter and saying, How dare you make me into a mug? I wanted to be a pot. God is author of all things, means that all author- human authority is derived from God. God created, we are created. So there's going to be a natural chasm. That always exists between between God and his infinite nature. And our limited nature as human beings. And instead of that leading to bitterness in our hearts. That we can't be more like him. That difference can lead us instead to wonder at him. And worship him. That he has come to bring his power to work in our lives. And our worship will happen to him. In the midst of an environment that we live in that pushes in the opposite direction. We are told regularly that we need to be the big something. We need to be the great something. And and all the while our occupations that we have more and more are relegating us to desks and phones and conference rooms. And we're lucky if we even have one window in our office that looks out on the natural world that God made. Everyone's eyes are all fixed on these small rectangles of flattened images. It's not just pressure from the outside that we'll feel. Our hearts will be drawn regularly to try our hand at being creator. When I'm discouraged, I won't go outside to observe the mind-numbing expanse and complexity of God's world. I'll tunnel into my own self. In our self-obsession, we'll create social media personas and then tinker around with them, hoping to get more attention, rarely turning our attention or others to the person and character of God of the world that we inhabit. We try to be creators by just simply trying to be, have our lives manageable, <laughs> controllable. We are constantly encouraged to settle for something less than what God created us for. God made this world for us to enjoy. Knowing that it was all made by him for us. So when we look at the world, it is full of signposts that lead us to God and tell us you can have your fill of God. Failing to recognize this part of God will be the beginning of our pride. Something's got to fill the vacuum in our hearts. So, as God shrinks, we'll either inflate ourselves or someone or something else to fill that hole. We'll make idols. We'll go and try to do what God did instead of just letting God be the one to do it. But if you're a Christian, your life is not going that direction. Your life following Jesus is going the other direction because Jesus has taken primary position in your life, you're secondary. He increases, we decrease. His majesty fills our hearts. We see ourselves appropriately. His glory pursuing purposes become clearer. The purposes of our trials and following him become clearer too. So what direction is your heart going? Is God getting bigger or smaller? And what about you? Bigger? Smaller, prouder, humbler, more vulnerable to changing circumstances, people's changing opinions of you, or more steadfast in the unchanging God. Sixth, sixth thing we notice about God from his creation is that God is three persons in one. Did you notice the mention of the spirit in verse 2? The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God is here at the beginning and creates. The spirit is here. And then Colossians 1 verse 15 and 16 says Jesus was also here. There we read he is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. Or as we heard Catherine read from John one earlier, all things were made by him. That is Jesus. And without him, there was not anything made that was made. The triune God there from the beginning. We'll think in this series more about why that's so important. For us to know and why and for what purpose the triune God created us. But from the beginning, just see that we learn in all these six ways how impressive God is. Truly great. From beginning to end, the Bible's driving emphasis is this. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit is glorious. He is eternal, self-sufficient, all-powerful, a God of order, and authority over all. So for us, God's creation of the world means this is where we start to get knowledge and wisdom. This is where we begin. The beginning of knowledge given to us is here at the beginning of God's word. God made it. The starting point for understanding all other knowledge is God. What we must accept to truly understand what is going on around us is that God has made it all. God is big. He is so big. And this is the way we understand our world and our place in it. We are the created. He is the creator. And only, only in that posture will you actually find peace and an end to your striving. The world is not ours to shape and mold. We are the molded to be used by the one who made us. The God who created us is the God we worship. Secondly, this passage shows us that God is actively involved in his creation. There in verse two, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We've already seen the spirit refers to the third person of the Trinity, but notice how the narrative takes us from a wide angle to a narrow one. We start on the universe, the heaven and earth. Then we're looking at just the earth and then we're down at the surface of the waters. And who is there right on top of it? The spirit hovering, not like a hovering helicopter parent, fearful that something's going to go wrong. No, this is a presence that sustains In Acts 17, 28, Paul says, in him, we live and move and have our being. So God is taking here more than just a passing interest in what he made. He apparently has designed it to be dependent upon his sustaining presence. The world, if it's to go forward, is integrally connected to God's sustaining power, making it move forward. Why would God want us to know this? Why would he want us to reflect on the fact that he's been sustaining it all from the beginning? So we can know him. Your dependency, your felt needs, your known limitations. All those things God has made in you to help you to know him. He's not a God who creates and shrugs off all responsibility. He is not an impotent God who creates and nervously waits to see if his creation will wreck what he made. He is a personal and powerful God. He's intimately involved. Relationship is central to who he is. Seeing God this close to what he made encourages us that we can trust him as Quinn encouraged us last week. That he can be trusted to take care of the things he created. That includes us. That includes you in your life. If he feeds the the sparrow, he's going to feed us. If he clothes the lily, he will clothe you. The world is turning today because God has never removed his sustaining presence from the world he made. But he did remove his presence from the people he made. That's important for you to know, as we'll see in the next few weeks, him removing himself and his presence from us was the consequence of our sin, man's disobedience. When mankind denied God as supreme creator, all creation broke. Now the world continues to be sustained by his common grace, but we are now separated from God eternally. And separated from the life he gives. So now we need something more than just sustaining. We need something more than just physical food or air to keep our lungs going. We need saving. We need spiritual rescue from our sin. From our death. We need the creator to step in and do a new act of creation for us. And this is what Jesus did. So what John one that we read reminds us in the beginning, the new beginning, not this beginning, but the new beginning when Jesus Christ, the son of God stepped on the earth, he started a new creation where he would not just make a physical world, but he would remake a spiritual people from the inside out. He would make us to be new, free of sin, free of the damage of sin, free of the curse of sin, free of the bondage of Satan, free from the threat of death. This is what Jesus stepped in to create a new in us. He created. And to do that, he came to live like his creatures. When we see Jesus baptized, creation gets kind of replayed. Here's a new man created who God loves. Here's the one with whom God's spirit lives. Not not one over whom the spirit hovers, but one the spirit rests on. Here he is on earth to bring back God's presence to us. And then we watch him minister in this spirit, one with God. And then we watch him die and rise and ascend so that, that the same spirit can be given to us in salvation. Through saving sinners, God fulfills his original creation purposes fully. Not just hovering over us like the spirit on the waters, not even just living with us like Adam in the garden, but living now in us and us in him. And as a Christian, as a church. Even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper in a moment, we now look forward to the day when God is going to come back and live with his people. The first thing he'll do when he comes back, Second Peter says, is he will unmake the world. Second Peter 3, 5-7 says, The heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. With the word, God will unmake what he made with the word. What a terrible day that will be for all outside of Christ. If you don't know him, I invite you to speak directly to Jesus today. Before his judgment over you is spoken forever. Ask for a heart to repent and turn from your sin. To believe that he is the son of God who gave his life for your salvation. That he can give you life. Those who have life in Christ look forward to after judgment, there will come a new creation where God lives with his recreated people. Revelation 21 is well known to many of us, but listen to what God has in store. John sees a vision of a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven. The first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the Holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So much of our lives intermingle with things that are passing away. I wonder if in our broken world, we're even capable of imagining what all things new will be like. Where everything good is forever. Everything evil is forgotten. I wonder if in our current brokenness, you and I might've even forgotten that these pains We experience our temporary pains soon to pass away. Don't lose heart in the bodies that won't remain. Don't lose heart in this world that is destined for an end and a new beginning. Don't lose heart in the fight against your own flesh and our spiritual enemy. Through it all, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day this light and momentary affliction that you are in Christian is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. You and me are relational creatures. We're made by a personal God. We were made in such a way that we live when we live with God and otherwise we die. You will find your identity when you find your unity with God. So when Moses wrote this book to Israel, he was grounding their initial understanding of their identity in God and in him alone. They came from him. And Moses regularly warned these people how God's substitutes called idols would jeopardize their relationship to God. We as the church are created and saved by God. We too place our identity in God alone. We come from him. We are created and recreated by him. We have no life apart from him. All our life is defined by him. So we are a pro-God, anti-idol church. Which means we're going going to want to know what's going on in each other's hearts. Because that's where the idols tend to live. So expect as a member of this church or as one seeking to join this church, people are going to want to help you by pushing into the details of your life to help you and themselves keep ourselves free from idols. This is an accountability we all need. This is a reason to join our church. This is a reason to come learn about how to do that in our membership class tonight. As we we examine how intimately and intentionally God is involved in this world he made, can you believe that this God is also our Father? Can you believe who we are as his people? That he set his love on us? That he did all of this and put this into action and considered this and thought about it and ordained it all before any of us ever walked to Him in repentance. The wonder of God's love is that He set His love on us even before He created us, so that by the time we were made and then we sinned, He was already on His way to take away our sin and give us life. That's amazing. And it reminds us that we need Him so badly. We need him to be everything for us. The seemingly infinite expanse of our universe depends on one. On God. Aren't you glad he's God? And we are not. Our abilities, our weaknesses, our limitations are not what the future is resting on. God takes care of that. We can rest our biggest problems in our creator and in our savior. If you have not done that, hand over your cares of this week to his control, hand over your sins to his cross. You will be glad that you did. Dependence is our worship. I said at the beginning of the sermon that we cannot know who we are unless we know how it is that we are I pray if you didn't know it already That you're persuaded this morning by His spirit and word that god created you You must know that In order to know that your life has meaning In our economy Scarcity drives up value The less of something the more valuable And then those who have the scarce thing are viewed higher than everyone else. You get the limited edition thing. You are cooler than those who didn't, you know, someone famous, you become someone famous and you are more important. But in God's economy, everything he makes has value, especially people, especially you, you and I are made with meaning. Before you do anything, before you become something, before you succeed or fail, your life already carries significance because you are God's design. So kids, I gave you a fill in a blank at the beginning. Remember that time to fill it in. My life has meaning because God created me. We are not accidents. We are intricately designed with care and love. We are not left to ourselves. God maintains his presence with us. This infuses any circumstance with hope. We are signposts pointing back to our glorious God. So let's finish our time. Let me conclude. In the beginning, there was God. Unlike everything else we'll study in this study in Genesis 1 through 3, he is a God without origin, but he originates all things. We'll look forward to continuing to trace our origins back to him. But from Genesis 1, 1, and 2, we understand that God is your creator and your sustainer. All that is left is to make sure that he is also your savior. Let's pray. Holy father, in light of what you've revealed to us about yourself in your word, we pray now that you would give your spirit to turn our hearts from those that wander to those that wonder at you who have done all these things, who have made us not only created us and the world we live in, but you have sent your son to remake us, to recreate us and you have plans to make us new. God, for those who are outside of you, lead them to salvation in you. For those discouraged, encourage their hearts with these truths. For those seeking to press on, may they be helped again with the confidence that you hold all things in your hands. Continue with us in your presence as we come to your table and remember your son Jesus now. In his name we pray. Amen.